Welcome back to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for tuning in. My conversation with Tom Krause, the CEO of Donato's Pizza, was just off the charts on point. Tom and I had so much in common to start, but his operating philosophies and best practices and everything he shared is so applicable to running your business today. And I was so excited, but you know what an acronym is? An acronym is where letters spell out individual words, and when you put them together, they really mean something powerful. Well, Tom has an acronym, which is APE. And that stands for A, where A equals alignment, and P is for plan, and E equals execution. And I believe this is applicable to any restaurant, your business, and really life in general. So we talked all about that in addition to marketing and finance and dialing in costs, but delivering value. There's a super value proposition here at Donato's, as well as you know best practices and how to get the most out of your team. We talked about leadership, just all the things that we feel are super vital in business today to deliver amazing guest experiences. And that's what it's really all about. Thank you so much, Tom, and thanks to our sponsors for tuning in. And also, we talked about systems. So if systems are important in your business, check out the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. It's literally a tool, a training tool where you can give access to up to 25 employees within a location and teach them how to run your business as if they owned your business. And that is a very powerful formula. So you're not going to want to miss this episode. Please stay tuned. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Rockstars, there are many elements to consider when growing your restaurant. Are you connecting with your guests enough and with the right message? Could your kitchen put out more orders than your dining area has room for? Well, it can be overwhelming, especially when the reason you got into this business was for the people and the food. That's why restaurants get Pop Menu. Now, Pop Menu is the marketing tech platform designed to make growing your restaurant easy so you don't have to grow it alone. With Pop Menu, you can capture more guests and their preferences through your website that's designed to easily collect data and info so you can see what your guests love and why they dine with you. Connect and build authentic relationships with guests by using modern technology that personalizes your marketing. Make all your systems work better together, improve margins, and conquer the chaos of your restaurant's digital presence. Now, Pop Menu is a special offer for my listeners. Get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Again, go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash rockstars. True hospitality and guest convenience are vital in your restaurant. I'm proud to say that for 23 years, my restaurants provided both with paging equipment by JTEC. We used guest and server pagers, and my teams could not have delivered great dining experiences without them. JTEC systems help you run a great restaurant. Now, JTEC pagers are reliable, durable, easy to set up and operate. Guest pagers increase sales and give guests peace of mind knowing they'll be called when their table's ready. Staff pagers notify when orders are up, fresh, and ready, and save time by eliminating the need for servers to check on orders. 
JTEC also offers Motorola two-way radio solutions, QR code virtual paging, reservations management, curbside notifications, and coming soon, Linkware, a wearable watch-like smart band that can receive messages and tasks from the JTEC Linkware application. Now, I saw this product at a recent food show, and it's really cool. To learn more and get a special offer from JTEC exclusively for my listeners, go to www.jtech.com slash rockstars. That's spelled J-T-E-C-H dot com slash rockstars. Tom, how are you today? Welcome to the show. So glad you're here. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, you're an illustrious guest being the CEO of Donato's. Everyone's heard of Donato's, arguably one of the leading pizza chains. And we're going to cover all about success stories. But as my audience know, I love to go back and see where hospitality began for you. So tell us, take us there. Wow. Where did hospitality begin for me? You know what? Probably my very first job, I was 13 years old. And I was hired as the shoeshine boy for uh, a golf club uh, where I grew up. And um, you say hospitality? Is it hospitality? Well, in, in many ways, I was serving all the, the, the men in the men's locker room. And I was trying to get them. I was trying to drum up business. So I was actually learned a lot about just interacting with people and selling. I ended up making way more money than the caddies did. I made a lot more money than anybody else that was working, like in the restaurant, even there. So I started, I started, uh, I guess you'd call it more of a, a sales oriented kind of position. I worked as a dishwasher in three different restaurants when I was 15. And then probably my first uh, kind of full, full on restaurant front of house jobs. I worked for uh, TGI Fridays as a bus boy. And uh, it was, this was in the heyday. So this was like, I say heyday, meaning that when the bar was like the place to be and and it was a, a place where guys and girls met and it was like four deep on a Friday night at the bar at Fridays. So I was the in- inventive busboy who figured out that mostly guys were trying to impress the girls and they were buying them drinks and they'd pull money out of their pockets and it would all fall on the ground. So I took, you know, the broom and dustpan, the the handled broom. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah, exactly. Flip that I, down, take the broom, sweep it in, dump it in the trash thing. Yeah. I, I put a uh-huh. I, I, I put a pen light onto the broom handle hmm. so that when they and I'd say and they were like, you don't need to sweep during the rush. I go, oh, that's all right. I'll go in there and I, let, let me clean up. And I'd turn that light on and I'd find money and I'd, I'd sweep up. I'd make about twenty five dollars just sweeping up. So so I don't know if I've told you yet about hospitality, but I certainly told you about salesmanship and hustle. Let's put it that way. You know, it's so interesting you say that because our backgrounds are very similar. I started my very first job as at a country club. It was a private club. And similar to you mentioning the locker room, it's like this was the private clubhouse, you know, and they'd come in after the first round of golf for lunch and it's the 19th hole, they call it. And now I'm serving them drinks and I very quickly got to know all their names and it's yes, sir. And Mr. So-and-so, sir. And And I got to know what their favorite drink was, and I'd have it poured before they got within 10 feet of the bar. And that was hospitality. And I didn't do it because they trained me to do it. I just felt this personal point of pride, maybe, to deliver what I consider to be great service 
to the members. And I was rewarded handsomely for that as you were. So isn't that, isn't that cool how that, that works though? Cause you you learn at a very early age that if I connect with, and it's not like you were faking it. I mean, you were connecting. No, I was genuine. It was relationship building. For sure. I think even back then, like I'm a big networker now, and that's one of the reasons yeah. why we get so many great guests on the podcast. But literally back then, who knew where these relationships would lead? You know, knowing prominent people, business people in the community, it led to future jobs. It leads to other, op- you know, recommendations for colleges, all that kind of stuff. It was great. What, what, what did happen? Did, did you have any good stories of anybody that you met early on that showed up later in your life in a big way? Uh, yeah, there was a guy who was... Uh, he was the managing director of a large real estate company and he gave me a job throughout college that that was a pretty great job i studied business in college and so i got some ground floor experience in in marketing and business relations yeah. uh, while i was in college so yeah that was one of the members yeah, and i still sure. remember him to this day great guy <laughs> so you know it, it really is about that and that is hospitality really but it sure. is, i think i have to emphasize you know, unfortunately, when we go out to restaurants today, service levels have slipped for a variety of reasons. You know, the pandemic and the labor crisis and all of that. And unfortunately, restaurants have not been able to deliver as much on the value proposition being short staffed. But where I'm going with is it's unfortunate that there's sometimes a sense of entitlement where, you know, tipped employees think that just because they're bringing the food, they deserve a 20% tip. And it's not about service, it's just about going through the motions of the job and I'm entitled to a tip. And I've yeah. never believed that. I've always believed that a gratuity is earned. And if you deliver exemplary service, then you deserve a nice tip. And if you fall short and it's your fault, then you don't, you know, and we see this every day today. So, you know, service is, is paramount in our businesses, you know, and we'll, we'll be talking all about your service philosophies also. What happened then? Um, tell us about your career. So uh, I went to Ohio State uh, and uh, I, I, I initially majored in elementary education. I've always been like a, um, like, you know, as a playground leader, I was a, I was a little league football coach. I was always, I really enjoyed and still do enjoy kind of boiling concepts down and teaching people things. That's in fact, that's what I really do in my job today is I, I can try to connect with people and man, if you can connect with a 12 year old, uh, boys who are going through hormonal changes on a football team, mm-hmm. <laughs> you right. can probably connect with people in business later on in life. So yes. anyway, but I, so I thought I wanted to be in elementary school. In fact, so I majored my first two years in elementary education. And then I read a survey about the salaries that you can get as a teacher versus other things. I said, you know, I think maybe I'll go a different direction. So I ended up uh, really going the route of uh, marketing and business so I, I I majored in in business marketing at Ohio State, got a degree there, and ended up working for uh, ad agencies for the first third of my career. So oh wow, and 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 interestingly, most of the most impactful clients that I had were in the food business. So so that kind of brought me into restaurants from really from a brand side, less about an operations side, but more you know, understanding customers, understanding what motivates customers, understanding what, how you get their attention, uh, certainly how do you you get them to come back, that kind of a thing really started uh, from uh, working for ad agency. We had a couple of uh, food accounts. uh, And then I, I left this initial agency and ended up being partners with um, another guy that was at the agency. So at age 24, I was a partner in a small communications firm in Columbus, 
Ohio. One more thing in common. I worked in advertising in Los Angeles. I was an account executive on the Acura car business. Is that right? What what agency was it? It was called Ketchum Communications. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Ketchum. Ketchum LA had an office on Wilshire Boulevard. I think they were based in Pennsylvania, probably in Philadelphia, if memory serves. Philadelphia. Serves, but That's exactly right. This was 1990 to 1993. So that this takes yeah. me back a ways. But yeah, similar. You know, getting marketing experience was, was essential to a business career. And I, I had a great time, a great experience and learned quite a bit. And, you know, account executive, you're in there between the creative side and the account side and dealing with the client and presenting creative work and trying to sell it forward. And it was awesome. Great experience. Yeah. And, you know, you're also, if you can try, you have to boil down, let's, let's use a 30 second television commercial as an yes. example. Mm-hmm. You have to understand what problem you're solving. You have to boil down that communication that selling that unique point of difference in a short period of time that's compelling enough to get someone to act. If you can figure that out on on a a pretty consistent basis, you can probably lead a company, you could lead a department, you could lead a store. Absolutely. I think I think it it really gets you to think kind of sequentially, what problem am I trying to solve? And then how do I quickly get people motivated to get to that point? So I thought it was tremendous. We had we started our, our little agency. Our One of our first big accounts was we were hired by the local co-op, McDonald's co-op in Columbus, Ohio. So uh, McDonald's always, their, their public relations for uh, efforts were always uh, part of their, uh, you know, traditional agency of record. So they didn't have a separate PR firm. We were the first PR only firm that they had hired anywhere in the country. Why you ask? Well, it took us a little while to figure it out, but they wanted to stick it to Wendy's in their home market. That's oh, why I'm kidding. Oh, they want, they that. found this young and hungry and we were young and yeah. hungry yeah. PR firm to get noticed in Wendy's. I you know, call it the competitive nature of restaurants. I don't know, but so we ended up, um, yeah, we did a real good job. We, uh, you know, I remember we introduced salads uh, when when McDonald's introduced salads. We had a we held a uh, a wedding between a, a a guy dressed up in a salad and a, uh, a girl dressed up in a salad dressing on the Oval at campus at Ohio State. Got a whole bunch of publicity. We kept getting all these stories, and then about a year later, we slowly start picking up. These different accounts. We pick up a shoe, a local shoe store. We pick up a leasing company. We pick up a rust proofing company. We're like, hey, you know, we're doing good picking up all this business. Go, come to find out, I, I look into some of the financial backing of all these new accounts. And Dave Thomas's uh, mm-hmm. investment company yeah. was a part of all these accounts. Oh, wow. Well, as it turns out, Dave as a classic entrepreneur is going to solve three problems with one move. So Wendy pigtail, Wendy was uh-huh. graduating yep. from marketing. From that was his daughter, right? That's his daughter. I went sure. to high school with her actually. But no kidding. There's yeah. a claim to fame. Oh, yeah. Wow. And she, uh, she was graduating from university of Florida yeah. in marketing. So his thought was, I'll get these guys out of my hair. I'll buy their agency. Wendy will be their CEO and they'll quit doing a bunch of PR for McDonald's all at once. <laughs> oh, that's an awesome story. Isn't that great? That is fantastic. It, wow, it you never can't happened. We ended up 
picking up more and more McDonald's business. And then the agency dissolved and we went our different ways, which interestingly, my yeah. next step was uh, along the Wendy's route. And I had a long career with Wendy's and, and their agency. Uh, oh, okay. Donatas. So different positions within that organization? Yeah. So we, um, when, when, when our little agency uh, dissolved, I had my own business for a little bit and there was a gentleman in town uh, who was picking up all the local uh, marketing business for Wendy's. Wendy's had changed ad agencies from Dancer Fitzgerald Sample, if you remember that name, to Backer and Spielvogel, which was a big New York firm. Mm-hmm. And wh- they didn't want the you know the radio tags and the signs and the POP and all that stuff. So he put together an agency. For that. So I joined him. We eventually were bought out by Backer and Spielvogel. So I worked on the agency side on the Wendy's business. It was, it was purely for Wendy's. Gotcha. And did that for a few years. And then Wendy's recruited me hard to come work for them. And I ended up working there for about 15 years. I was vice president of marketing when I left Wendy's. So I worked with Dave Thomas hand in hand, personally worked with him directly uh, during the big, you know, campaign with, with Dave Thomas was fantastic. And the burger wars, right? Exactly. Yeah. Best burgers in the business, as he used to say, best burgers in the business. Love it. Love it. And the square burger. <laughs> uh huh. That's right. He's, he used to say the reason that they're square is we don't cut corners. He was very corny. Oh, I like that. No kidding. Was, yeah. There's a hook for you. That's, that's yeah. awesome. He, he was an amazing person. I was very yeah. fortunate to be able to work with him. Wow. Well, you would you say he was a mentor in any way? He was. I, I mean, we we didn't have as you know. I was a I was a young junior executive. I would I would go with him on the television commercial shoots. His wife was uh, was on him about his weight, so she made him walk every day. So when he would go to New York to go on these TV commercial shoots, they'd say, "Dave wants to go for a walk around the block on Lexington Avenue." Kraus, you go with him. So I, I, I have the job. I used to walk Dave Thomas. That was one of my jobs. <laughs> was pretty cool. But awesome. what, what an amazing guy! I, I don't know if you ever got a chance to meet him or never talk did, never did. But what amazing, interesting conversations you must have had, right? Oh my gosh! Yeah, he was. Yeah, you know, he was. He, he didn't graduate from high school. He was adopted. He, um, he, you know, he would use the wrong words for things sometimes, and. And at times I thought, you know, is he, is this, is this all an act? But he was just, he was genuinely, um, you know, simple in the business. He took the complex and really made it simple. And he was right on about all of it. And, and not just, not just about the business aspects, but about people. He was a, he was a tremendous judge of people. He, he would quickly kind of assess who you were. And what, you know, how to get the best out of you. My, my first week on the job, I was told, you're going on a plane. This is when I got hired by Wendy's. So I came mm-hmm. on to Wendy's and yeah. said, you're, you're going to fly on the company plane with the senior vice president of strategy and somebody else and Dave Thomas. And you're going to fly to talk to this franchisee about something he was doing they shouldn't be doing. So. I'm nervous as all could be. I'm sitting on the private jet. I'm on the jump seat 
you know, like writing, scribbling, and I can feel that somebody's looking at me. You know, I, I got, I can tell there's eyes on me. And I look back and Dave's just kind of staring at me. <laughs> he, he says, uh, he says, so what do you do? Uh, you know, I'm so nervous. I go, well, I'm a junior assistant, new product marketing manager. He says, so what do you do? <laughs> awesome. So I thought I'll describe, I'll describe a project for him. So I, yeah. I, I go into detail about, we're going to test the big plastic cheeseburger and we're going to have two stores. There'll be controls and then we'll have test stores and we're going to put a second uh, slice of cheese on it. We're going to measure pre to post, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, um, you know, I'm, I'm dying. He goes, so you're going through all of that to find out whether customers want more cheese on their cheeseburger. And I went, Oh boy, there's a lesson right there. You asked me whether I learned some lessons. There's some lessons right there. You know, don't, don't make things more complicated than they really are. <laughs> Unbelievable. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I could totally feel the pressure. I'm on that plane with you and I'm like, okay, I'm a young person and there's the CEO and the founder of Wendy's and he's looking at me funny. And, you know, <laughs> my first thought being on a plane is, you know, should I be, uh, really outgoing and engage people in conversation or should I just kind of, you know, be seen and not heard as a young person with senior executives? It's like you, all these thoughts are going through your head. It's like, do I make an impression positively or negatively? And what should I do this or that? And it's like, wow, that's exactly. Yeah. And I thought I'm just going to sit here because they don't want to yep. talk to me and who right. wants to talk to me The the founder of the company wants to awesome. talk. It was that's great. great. It was amazing. What happened next? What happened after Wendy's? So, so yeah, so I, so I joined uh, Wendy's and, and I worked, you know, my way through the marketing department, um, you know, lots of stories there, but uh, I ended up, uh, I was kind of second in command to their CMO at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, Donato's had just been purchased by McDonald's. So back in 1999, McDonald's bought, uh, controlling interest of Chipotle, they bought Boston Market outright, and they they bought a pizza company because they wanted, you know, kind of like Yum Brands. They wanted to diversification. Have, exactly. They called yeah. it share of stomach. They wanted to own that the share sense. of stomach, right? And, In all relevant categories and only relevant yeah, categories. Exactly. And 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 with us Donatos, they were looking for you know, quality, they were looking for the uh, a culture or the people. And as a family run business, which I'll tell you a lot more about our culture here, which is amazing, but yes, they, they saw it and they liked it. And so, so they uh, quickly were building their team to take over the world, you know? And so uh, I was approached while I was at Wendy's, I was happy at Wendy's, super happy, actually. The only hitch was my, my, the CMO who I would eventually hopefully replace was only five years older than me. And I thought, gosh, I don't know, this could take forever. And I could, I could go over here and lead this organization. Also a quality brand, also founder, uh, started founder led, uh, still Columbus, Ohio. I, you know, I didn't have to move. Made sense. I, you know, all the resources of McDonald's. So I made the tough decision to leave yeah. Wendy's and join this Donato's. As I tell the story, when I was young, I fell in love with Donato's pizza, the pizza itself. 
Then I fell in love with their job offer. Then I fell in love with the company. And then I fell in love with the founder's daughter, who is my wife now. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. oh, there's a story unto itself. Uh, are you telling, uh, you know? Oh, I'm wow. All the, to- all the way to the executive suite, and I married the founder's daughter. <laughs> exactly. You know, I like to complete the job. You know, yeah. Yeah. good for you. <laughs> Let's go all the way. So. Oh, man. But that didn't come till later. So I, okay. I, joined, yep. uh, yeah. I joined in 2000, and mm-hmm. I was uh, McDonald's owned us for four years. Uh, long story short for them, their, their stock hit an all time low and wall street really was pressuring them. Like the best, get, yeah. get focused on your core business, even though we weren't really a, a real distraction that we were mm-hmm. at least a perceived uh, distraction to wall street. So, so they ended up selling Chipotle Boston market and they were going to either sell or close down Donato's and my wife wasn't my wife at the time, but the, the, daughter of our founder jim grody went into her dad's office even you know i know dad you sold this and that's the american dream and all that but we got to buy it back she and the way she tells the story she said dad i need you because you're smart i need you because you're charismatic but mostly i need your money and so because i don't have enough to buy it back so so the family bought the company back i stayed on i'm a i'm a, one of the owners of the business and we've been on a, a real run ever since. So, Do you recall how many stores there would have been when you joined and then McDonald's four years later sold it and where you are now? Just sort of we a had timeline a of hundred, about 130 when I joined. Yep. They, uh, McDonald's got it up to almost 200, but then had they closed down three markets. Uh, they were, you know, they were taking a write off and, and, mm. There were a couple of mark their their strategy, uh, which was similar to McDonald's strategy, like international. They go into a market and they just build and build and build. They'd lose money for ten years until they, you know, had the market share. And then, like France was a great example of that. They were doing that with us, but the problem was midway through the the process of entering markets, uh, they changed their strategy. So we ended up selling the Atlanta market, Philly market in Orlando. So now we're back in, not, we're not in Philly, but we're back in Orlando and Atlanta now. Uh, so we've got about 460 total locations today. Wow. A couple awesome. hundred of them are traditional, uh, about 250 or so are part of Red Robin, which I, I don't know if you've yes. heard of. Yeah, that. we have a Red Robin down the road from us. Yeah. yeah. They had a female CEO if they still don't, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Denny Denny Post. She was uh, actually she was the person that reached out to us yep. about the idea of doing some sort of partnership, uh, and uh, you know that was maybe five years ago. She's moved on. Uh, GJ Hart is their CEO now. He was with Texas Roadhouse for a long time. Torchy's Tacos, California Pizza Kitchen. So okay, knows a little bit about pizza, which is great. Let's He's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about in such a saturated segment pizza of course what's your competitive advantage yeah so we're you know we've got the distinct advantage of having a clear point of difference in a big category i love that you know the the upstart the new ideas the new categories they make me nervous because they may not be as exciting a few years from now so pizza's certainly established it's about 50 billion dollar category 
where wow, we where billion. we stand in the in the consumer's mind, and and we did a, a lot of consumer work, and customers really kind of bifurcate the the market into two chunks. One, they call it uh, default pizza, and and no offense to Domino's or Papa John's or Pizza Hut, but it's more chain pizza. The quality is not the best, highest quality, but it's it's good enough. But it's convenient. It's got a value. It you know technology is involved. So that that's like easy. And then over on the other side, uh, they would call it local goodies. They might be mom and pops, or they might be kind of some of these younger upstart, you know, more hipper brands. Which the quality is is strong, but they don't have the convenience, the delivery, the value, the technology. Mm-hmm. We're in this perfect white space that we've got a super high quality product and we've researched it against just about every pizza in the business and customers tell us that it's we have lots of toppings we we call it edge to edge toppings so thin mm-hmm. crust toppings on top all the way to the edge like a pepperoni pizza has a lot of pepperoni on it and people say well, what's a lot 30 i go no 40 no it's 100 we have 100 pieces of pepperoni on a large pizza and that's just unique in in the marketplace. It is. Let me ask you a question about that. So portion yeah. controls, especially in this age of rising costs and inflation and food costs and all that kind of stuff to maintain margins, are those pre-portioned uh, pieces of pepper? Like, how do you, I mean, I'm sure the guy's not counting one, two, three and putting a hundred pieces on there. Like, how do you do that? And how do you maintain consistency? Yes. In for a while, we, for a while, we only hired math graduates from Ohio State. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> No, actually, uh, it's a great question because our system is we weigh every topping to a hundredth of a pound. So Mm -hmm. uh, when a ticket comes in, it says, you know, banana peppers 0.4, you know. Yep, yep. So so we weigh the pepperoni until it hits the weight. And and we know that that weight equals at least a hundred pepperonis or more. So now the great thing about the system is depending on, inflation or commodity costs or operational excellence or whatever, we're going to have the same pizza every time. You know, it's not a franchisee isn't going to, you know, take a scoop and go, eh, let's maybe put half the scoop on here this time because I'm, I'm dealing with a bad month last month. It's, it's the same product every single time. Has to so, be. Yep. so customers, and they notice it too. Oh, of they course they do. Yeah. If you're a fan, it's like you expect it to be consistent in Orlando, Columbus, San Francisco. It's like wherever you go, it's like you want a Donato's pizza to be edge to edge exactly as I had it the last time, regardless of where I had it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's very, it's a beautiful looking pizza because, mm-hmm. you know, it's got all these pepperonis on it. And so, so quality is the main piece, but we're great at delivery and, and, Yep. And online ordering is about 80% of our business. So we've got a, a great technology platform. We've got a great, deli- we've been doing delivery forever, a great delivery platform. And so that piece in the middle, you got the the default pizza over here and the local goodies. Yep. We call it premium pizza delivered is kind of what our, you know, that's not a uh, ad slogan, but that's sure. really what our positioning is. So gotcha. great question, but that's, that's why, that's why we do in the top 90th percentile of volume of other pizza places. Most average pizza place in America is about a $800,000 AUV and we're, you know, well over 1.25 or 1.3. And uh, that's kind of the basis for our, 
our recent growth spurt has been great quality, great uh, financials, and now we've got scale to go nationwide. Do you do any LTOs or how often do you sort of do menu R&D focus groups, bring in new products or new pizzas, that sort of thing, just to keep it fresh and round out the regular consistent menu? Yeah, we we do. You know, we want to make sure we're balanced, that we're not going too hard on all new products all the time. But I would say probably half of the marketing events in a year has something new. And, you know, not they're not always, you know, the highest sales we've ever seen, but they communicate something also about the brand. You know, when we're when we're doing something that is a little bit on the cutting edge in food, that says something about who we are. You know, we had fresh fresh mozzarella balls or our, our Hawaiian pizza has cinnamon and sliced almonds. You know, you, they're they're kind of up market type. Uh, ingredients that you're not always going to see in the, at least you're not going to see in the the ch- big chain pizzas. So yeah, we uh, are, are probably our most successful introduction of recent years has been our cauliflower crust pizza, which I got to be honest and my gray hair is showing uh, my age here, but I thought cauliflower crust. My like, wife would be all over that. Oh my gosh. It is so good. You know, we, mm-hmm. we it took us a little while to find the right you know, combination, but it is so good and it's gluten-free and it's uh, got a health halo and it's a little bit, you know, kind of food forward. So it's been a good one. Listen, when I ran restaurants, I had my core values, the things most important to how I ran my restaurants, monitoring daily operations, training my team for consistently great guest experiences, food safety, quality assurance, and preventative maintenance. All this took a system. Well, here's what Xenia can do. Xenia gives you a modern app, really an operational base camp that scales standard operating procedures, trains your team, controls operations, and even manages food safety. Now, I really like their sensors that continuously monitor temperature for fridges and freezers so you can proactively prevent inventory losses. Now, how valuable is that? Now, whether managing a single or multiple locations, the Xenia app helps you ensure consistency, compliance, and accountability across your operation. You can see full detail in real time from anywhere in your Xenia dashboard with automated reports right to your inbox. Now, again, this was vital in my restaurants. Xenia is offering my listeners white glove service with free onboarding and implementation so you can jump straight into immediate usage and value. Xenia starts at just $69 per month per location. So get my special deal at www.xenia.team slash rockstars. Xenia is spelled X-E-N-I-A. So I mentioned this because my wife is gluten-free, but she's also dairy-free. And, okay. you know, she uses a cheese called Daya, which is like a dairy-free yeah. cheese. I don't know how big that is, but is that something that you need to have both a gluten-free crust and sort of a dairy-free because you don't want to lose that segment of people that are either lactose intolerant or they just, for health reasons, they just cut back on dairy? You know, it's a constant uh job for us to find the right intersection is is there enough of a need exactly right because you know if there's not enough of a need doesn't make sense it it ends up you end up throwing away more product than you're Mm -hmm. selling and so uh, we got to be sensitive to our operators about those kinds of things but you know it i'd I'd rather be a little bit ahead on all that because you know if if you measure the trends and you know when the trends like gluten-free we were ahead of about everybody and 
at first it wasn't that big of a sales mix, but it's grown and grown and grown. Cauliflower is the same thing. So we, we've we uh, tested a diet cheese uh, and we've had it in a number of stores. Um, I think it'll probably come back at some point in time, but you know, these food sensitivities are real. Uh, they're real. Question. Yeah. And it seems like there's more and more popping up all the time. And obviously you can't please all the people all the time. We really try to offer something for everyone. And if they've got dietary needs and restrictions, you know, you want to be known for that as opposed to, no, we just do it one way. So you're right. It's a real balance out there. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And it can be very difficult for some people. I mean, people in the worst case with like nut allergies or, or, um, on the other hand, uh, people with celiac disease, mm -hmm. like we were, I want to say 20 years ago, we introduced a, a, a pizza with, we called it no dough. It, it didn't have a crust. It was, it was really one of the first kind of bowl ideas. So it was all mm -hmm. the toppings without the, without the crust. And, um, people, we got these most heartfelt letters from people who suffer from celiac, who finally I can have pizza again. Finally, I can be with my family, you know, when they want, all want to go out and have pizza. Cause you know, a lot of times people, you know, and a lot of them are kids are, you know, feel left out. And so, yeah, this no dough pizza that we did years ago just took off. We ended up being on the today show and awesome. That's great marketing. Yeah, Can't it was, that. well, it was funny because it was right at the height of, uh, uh, the Atkins diet. You remember the Atkins I diet? Do. I absolutely do. Yep. And we were, We'd we'd come walk past the conference room where there were people were eating pizza. We'd see all these crusts left on the table. We're like, is there something wrong with our crust? And now it was all these people on the Atkins diet. And so we kind of there's no dough. We hit it at just the right Perfect. time. No kidding. You know, Took I off. mean. Yeah, six months earlier probably would have been a bust. Six months later might have been a bust, but it took off. Those are and fun then, times. Yeah. Then there's a fine line between, okay, when do we cut this? Cause the trend is over and it's not going to continue without, yeah. you know, continuing to go down that road. So God, it's yeah. a balance. Yeah. We've got a great menu team who, who, you know, they stay ahead of it and they're, you know, very well educated and yeah. Uh, you know, we've, we've got a few interesting things in the works right now. So we're, there's always something, you know, I'm sure there's no two days alike in your world, but what's a typical day like for Tom Krause? Typical day. Well, I, I do. I'm doing a lot more in the community. I'm. I'm. Uh, I. Uh, I'm a musician of sorts. I'm a songwriter, and I'm involved in uh, a nonprofit here in town that's mm -hmm. uh, uh, helps support musicians and helps Columbus uh, get recognized as a music city, which it really is. And nice. so, yeah. I do. I do some work with that. So I. I have a varied day. I might. I might be at a club watching a young band trying to help them late at night, you know, one night. And then the next morning I'm, I, I work out every morning. So I'm, I'm up early and then I get into the office. I'm always in the office. I, I, I work at home sometimes, but not that often. I, I like being here. Uh, I'm, I meet with our president and our CFO and Jane, my wife, uh, pretty consistently. I'm, I'm not, I'm in one team meeting now because I'm trying to allow the team to really kind of take the lead. Uh, my job really is to number one, make sure that we're fulfilling our overall cultural mission. Number two, that we allow the team to build plans that will achieve the results that we want to get. And the third is to, 
take away barriers that exist so that people can achieve what we already said we're achieving. What I what I drove me crazy is working for past bosses who micromanaged or got in the way or just came up with new things that got in the way of the the big rocks that we were working on. So I'm I'm real sensitive to that and so I'm 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 a helper, I guess is what I would say my job is is to really be a helper. <laughs> Sounds like you're finding a work-life balance. We talked about working out every day, doing healthy habits. Uh, you've got a vocation in music. You like helping outside the community, all that kind of stuff. So that's all tremendous. Let's let's go a little bit deeper. Um, two things came up from what you just said. We talked about culture a little bit. So I want to talk about your company culture, but then I also want to talk about, uh, you mentioned the boss and the manager. Let's talk about leadership versus management, but let's start with company culture first. So, again, part of my decision to come here was, is, is it a culture that is meaningful? And, and Jim Grody, my father-in-law, our founder, when he was 19 years old, he started Donato's Pizza. He dropped out of uh, Ohio State and, start, and you know, started at Donato's Pizza because he had worked at some pizza shops. Like his first job was cleaning pans at a pizza shop that had two owners. The one owner was this super friendly, affable guy, not unlike Roger at the country club. Everybody loved him. The associates loved him. The customers loved him. The other partner was more of the numbers guy, and he would calculate and come up and say, you know, if we water down the sauce at the end of the night, we could make three more pizzas, and that would make this much more money and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Sure. And Jim, Jim's 13 years old watching this, and Interestingly, the nights that the first gentleman worked over time really started to grow in sales. Didn't matter which day of the week it was, but when he worked and when the other guy worked, it would drop in sales. And I I bring the story up because Jim noticed at a very early age that if you make a promise to the customer and you treat the customer with respect, the way you would want to be treated, you treat your people with respect, the way they would want to be treated. It may not show up immediately, like on a spreadsheet, but eventually over time, and, and he he always called it goodwill, promoting goodwill. If you yeah. promote goodwill, it will all come back to you. It will come back to you in spades. And, you know, he's 80 years old right now. He's, he's still the majority owner of the company. He's working in an innovation center, inventing equipment for pizza making, believe it or not. So he's not as directly involved in the day-to-day, but... But the mission of are we are we allowing pizza to be the vehicle to create something bigger? And it might be small, it might be big. And when I say small, I say, you know, we hire 14, 15 year olds. A lot of companies don't do that because of all the labor uh, fines that you could get, and it's it's difficult. But we know that some young kids, maybe their family life is not great. They're not getting life lessons that will help guide them and make them successful in the future. Or maybe it's, this is just work as an opportunity to to hear a lesson that, like my own son, you know, at a certain point, he quit listening to me. But when he got a job at Donato's, that was a whole nother level for him. So, so it's things like, you know, we make it a point to hire a 14, 15-year-old. We hire people with uh, past criminal records that we think, you know, need and deserve a second chance. Awesome. You know, it's 
we give back to the community. We give you a pizza that's got more pepperoni on it than it needs to. You know, so we call it uh, a company that gives more than it receives. Yeah, we get 16 bucks from you, but what we're going to give back is so much more. So this pizza with a purpose is really kind of, you know, I don't know if that's a phrase, but that's, we, you know, and everybody loves pizza, right? I mean, that's the great thing about the food we all business. Do, for sure. But pizza, especially, it's hard to find somebody who doesn't like pizza. You might find somebody that doesn't like octopus or calamari or something like that. Of but course. So it's such a universal attraction that if we can take that universal attraction and do something good with it. Um, my my wife and father-in-law started a nonprofit in Columbus that uh, is really changing people's lives. And if it wasn't for Donato's and the pizza, that wouldn't be happening. And so... You ask about culture. That that's the culture. The culture is how can we uh, honor what we get to do, which is to serve and serve the best pizza by making people's day a little bit better. Might be a little bit, might be a lot, uh, but that is more than a transaction. And it kind of leads into your other point about manager versus leader. You know, when I think about when you were saying that to me. You know, I think about, man, you know, managing is even the word itself is kind of like uh, I'm trying to like not mess things up. I'm trying to manage. I'm managing it. And and it can feel more like a transaction. But leadership is more about bringing a higher purpose. You know, if, if you, a leader is going to make someone who works for them on their team feel valued and feel great about what they're doing and it will allow them to do more than they ever thought they could do. Right. I mean, wouldn't I, I'll ask you what your definition of leadership is, but I see that as one of the aspects and boy, that's a much higher purpose than managing the PNL, managing inventory, managing the schedule. Those are tasks, but you know, inspiring and motivating people to be the best version of themselves. Man, that's cool. That's powerful stuff. You know, when you said managing, the first thing that came to mind was I need to control things, control. including my people. I need to control them. I need to control the bottom line. I need to control this, that, and the next thing. And that takes me back to your story about the guy that was a little too focused on the finances versus being affidable and, and really being, you know, teamwork, respect, and and right. inspiring people versus, you know, water down the spaghetti sauce or the pasta sauce or the, you know, the pizza toppings or whatever it was. But that was a really good analogy that you made. And I think that's the distinction. It's like leaders recognize talent in others and they give people opportunities and they don't criticize, they critique and they, they try to make people better than what they believe that those people can do on their own. And then when those people reach great heights, then they're recognized and rewarded for that achievement. And I think that lowers turnover in organizations. It creates a, you know, a esprit de corps that used to say in the Marine sure. Corps and all that sort of thing. And you yeah, know, that's and, it. That's what it's about. And it provides clarity too. I think I think mm. the best leaders are clear about, uh, you know, no matter how you create that vision, hopefully you create it with your team. But when you create that vision, it's clear what that vision is, and and everybody's clear about their what their uh, potential contribution is to get there. That's you know, like you walk in a restaurant, you own restaurants. Yes. You now the restaurants that run the best are the ones where. You know, the, the people on the team know what's expected of them and and they have an opportunity, you know, to contribute to that 
vision, which is really cool. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of managers are sort of losing focus and wondering, why are my people not performing? And part of it is the the accountability isn't there, okay? It, you need to make it crystal clear to every new employee and even existing line people what is expected of them and giving them a clear direction with a job description that they understand, they know they can perform. If they have any questions, you demonstrate, you show them until they demonstrate competency. But then a really strong leader understands what every position in a restaurant is about. And maybe you could do it yourself and maybe you can't, but at least you know what expectations should be. And if those people go sideways with those expectations, that's when you've got the accountability with the clear description that was signed off on, hopefully by the employee when he was first hired, or if you're just rolling out this program, and then you can pull them aside in private. And you yeah. know, this is something I used to do. And I'd say, you know, you agreed that we were going to do it this way and I'm seeing it going that way. But I never said, now go out there and I expect you to do it this way. I was threw the ball back in their court and said, how can you get back on track? What can you do to get your performance that we all agreed was what was expected? And now they know I'm watching and they're going to go out there and they either have to fix the behavior, correct it to improve, or else they know I'm going to see them again. And nobody wants to talk twice about an episode. So yeah. That, you know, that's accountability right there. And then there should be a performance review, regular performance reviews that let people know how they're doing, but then weekly recognition rewards programs that, that really, you know, single people out for going above and beyond and solving a guest issue or delivering amazing hospitality or helping a team member, whatever it is. I mean, we did all these things and I'm yeah. sure Donato's does, does many similar things. What are your, um, you know, what are your philosophies on leadership style and, and how do you expect, you know, store owner franchisees to onboard people, train people and make sure that, well, they have to ensure a consistent experience through their people. Yeah. You know, I, I've had this, uh, uh, philosophy or theme called a APE. Yes. Okay. What's that? Part, part, part of the reason I like it is because it, I, you could be as, as uh, intelligent as an ape and, and, and understand it, but mm -hmm. where I see things go wrong, and this is in a store or in a department or in a company is uh, there isn't uh, a stands for alignment. Okay. P stands for plan and E stands for execution, which includes accountability. Gotcha. And when, when things aren't going well, it's one of those three things you might, you know, I, I remember walking into a restaurant, I go, what are you guys doing? Uh, you know, they're blowing up balloons <laughs> and they're uh, putting up banners and for uh, a kid's uh, program. And, mm -hmm. and, and I'm like, you know, so w why are you doing that? Well, they could, I, I couldn't get a, a clear answer. So, were, were you aligned that the problem that you had is you didn't have enough families? Is that the problem? Or is the problem that your service times at the window are poor? Because you can look at that and analyze the business and say, the biggest thing we've got to focus on is improving our service times at the window. If we improve service times on the window, then we will achieve what, what we want to achieve. Well, that takes you know sitting down, first of all, thinking a little bit. Secondly, as a team agreeing, that's the alignment, that this is what we're going to focus on. And maybe there's two things, maybe there's three things, but make sure you're aligned on what is the issue that you're trying to solve in, in your store. Because if you're already off planning and executing something without a real understanding, 
you, you ain't going to get uh, somebody used to say it. You're making a, uh, uh, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm making good time. You know, it's like you've got a lot of activity and people thrive. You know, it's like an adrenaline rush. Of course. Doing something. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, you might be aligned and understand what the real issue is, but you really haven't put a plan in place. You've talked about it. You've complained about it. You've maybe blamed somebody else about it, but you're aligned. We have a problem. We have a, let's call it a value perception. People think we're too high priced, you know, and, and we want to talk about it all the time. Well, we need to, what's the plan? Yeah, I know, this sounds so simple and that's why it's ape. But if you don't have a plan, you're never going to be able to accomplish the, the objective, which is which is what you're aligned to. And then finally, if you're not holding people accountable to execute against that plan, you're not going to. I guarantee you, if there's a problem of underperformance in one of our restaurants, it's one of those three things. So keeping that kind of mental model in mind all the time, I do it all the time. I kind of wander around and go, ooh, we got an alignment problem over here. <laughs> we got an execution problem over here. Uh, now, that's maybe I'm not answering your specific question about how do we how do we on on board and, and get people excited? But the the what, those that have a plan that is aligned, those are the ones that will succeed, and those are the ones that and and you know, talk about leadership. Those are the ones that, like I said, it's clear what our job is. What's my role in it? Well, you know, I can I can be the out, outside order taker. Let's try that. Oh wow, our service times went up. Oh wow, our sales went up. Our customers are more happy. Our overall satisfaction scores went up. It's uh, keeping taking the complex and making it simple is is I and don't you find that? Didn't you find that in in your restaurants? I'm sure a big part of what made you successful was you were able to take all the noise and all you know customers, associates, and trucks are being delivered, and and you would keep people focused on what the most important things are. Yeah, you're talking about systems now, Tom. You know, I yeah. learned a long time ago, work on your business, not in your business, or else the business runs you. You're not running the business, you know? And that's where if you empower your people, and I love the word empowerment. You know, yeah. we talked earlier about the difference between leadership and management. There's also a huge difference between delegation and empowerment. Anybody can right. tell somebody what to do or even how to do it, but very few people can empower people to rise to challenges and run the place like, you know, you would if you were there. And if yeah. you've got these systems in place, I love to say this. It's like you can walk away from the business for a day, a week, or a month. And when you come back, the place is still humming on all cylinders because yeah. of that foundation that you laid with your team. You just, you have to, it, it, you have to take the time to make sure it's, it's like teaching your kid how to ride a bike. You know, it, there's a intellectual part. You're going to move your pedals quick. Mm -hmm. You're going to sit up straight, you know, and then, and then we're going to try it. And I'm going to hold your seat a few times. And then at that time when you let go of the seat and they're doing it on their own, they 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 think your hand's still there. They look back and they go, "Holy crap, I'm I amazing!" That. Uh, I'm you're amazing. Me back to childhood, but you know what? There's a line, you know. There's alignment. There's plan, and there's execution in that too. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> it's like applicable to every part of life. It is so simple. Uh, that seems to me like it's a core operating philosophy of Donato's, and that's passed down to every store. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we could do a better job of passing it down. I, I know it's in my head all the time, but, uh, I think it's wonderful. I think it's yeah. great. Really cool. effective stuff. Let's talk about marketing. How do yeah. you market the business and how do you set yourself apart from the competition in the segment called pizza? What works? And that, 
you know, the, the, the challenge, cause we're, we're in a, uh, fast casual or QSR, you might say. So we're in a, in yep. a broad category. We're going up against, you know, a, a, you know, millions and millions of dollars of uh, competitive advertising and things like that. So of course for us, our a lot of clutter out there. It, yeah. And, and we're high, a little higher price than uh, our commodity type competitors. So mm-hmm. our biggest job is to find that balance between creating a call to action whether it's a new product news or it's a, you know, maybe a promotion or a deal and what sets us apart. And if we, if we drain the bank account of uh, reinforcing our unique selling proposition at the expense of, you know, daily, weekly sales driving messages, we're going to lose kind of muscle uh, core muscle about what makes us different. On the other hand, we can't all just it can't all just be brand marketing and and all that. So for us, because we're in a you know forty fifty billion dollar category, but we're different. We're we're in fact we're in the process of kind of relooking at how do we position Donatos to be worth that price. Our our value rate we have we're highest rated on quality, variety, consistency healthfulness. I mean, all these great attributes versus everybody. Value is the one that is our, is our Achilles heel because we're higher priced. But what that means for us is we've got to make sure people understand that it's worth the extra dollar. And so that's, that's a tricky job. That's leveraging you know, the product difference is abundance. You know, we've got more pepperoni. We're edge to edge. We have more flavors. And, you know, I talked to you about specialty tastes like almonds and cinnamon and, you know, fresh mozzarella and all those kinds of things. You know, how do you take all that and make a bigger statement? We're, we're actually working on kind of introducing a whole new way to talk about Donato's here next year. But, but look at uh, Chipotle. You know, they're able to charge more than Taco Bell. Look at Starbucks. They're able to charge more than Duncan. You know, you've got to be the best version of who you are. So, you know, that's the the marketing piece really is about balancing sales driving messages and the thing that makes us different from a brand. And that's that's not easy all the time. You know, you're you're touching on a really, really important message that our audience really needs to take away. Depending on your price point and the value proposition and all this, we're still dealing with volatile food costs. And when you've taken a stance for one quality and two, not skimping on topics and all this kind of stuff, and sure, you might charge a little more, but you still have to maintain margins. You're not doing anything unscrupulous like that story you told about watering down the pizza sauce, but you've got to maintain margins and also uh, you know, maybe you're not spending as much on marketing as the other guy. Do you consider this sort of a marketing expense if your food costs go up a little bit, but you're marketing less, but that's a piece of marketing because people see, see you as a clear leader based on, you know, your quality and, and the overabundance that you're providing. Like, where is that balance? A, a lot, a lot of good in, in a lot of good content in your question there. I think on one level, yes, you're right. You know, you can't just work off of a percent food cost on all products and say, this is the, you know, Mm -hmm. certain products. In fact, we just looked at something the other day that's super high quality, unique pizza that, yeah, I don't, not sure anybody's done. And it's a, it's a great food item. And, but to do it right, we're going to have to, you know, take a bite on food costs a little bit, you Mm -hmm. know, that that's just, 
the nature of the beast. It now, is, yeah. all in all, uh, you've got to have an economic model that works. We do two things. One is uh, we do a lot to hedge uh, cheese. Cheese is our biggest expense. Of course. So, yep. you know, every day, every hour, you know, commodities, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the futures uh, markets change. Right. right. And, uh, we, we've set up a, we call it a cheese account so that we're not passing everything onto the stores, our franchise partners. We might, we have a cheese account that kind of flattens the cost of cheese. Because what happens is if you don't do that and cheese goes way up and food cost goes way up because we can't dictate pricing with our franchise system, they might, you know, charge way too high of a price, lose transactions. Or on the other hand, if prices go down, we can't count on that forever. So, so we we try to smooth out that the food cost on on cheese. Course, we also make our own dough, uh, and we we operate at a, a, a net income break even. We're not we're not in the business of making money off of the ingredients that we send our franchisees. And I'm not, you know, judging other companies that do that. That's their business model. It's just not our business model. Our business model is we we have a very low royalty fee. We have uh, our food cost, our our dough. We operate it at break even, so that it's. We want them to make more money because if they make more money, they're going to build more stores. If they build more stores, we'll end up getting fee income. I'm not yes, worried about that. Of course, but we're looking at kind of a long game here. So, um, you know, back to inflation though, I think we've, you know, it's a balancing act. I think labor, you know. Labor inflation is probably the the more challenging area, and we're looking for ways to take hours out of the restaurant with monotonous tasks. That's why this innovation center that my father-in-law runs is working on automatic pizza saucing equipment. In fact, we have we're rolling that out in a number of our stores. So that takes so now we don't need those hours on you know that. We'll probably look at dishwashers, and you remember how fun that job was, right? Maybe, maybe take that job out, <laughs> and so then they can do yeah. interact with the customer and ha- make it more fun, and mm-hmm. actually pay mm-hmm. our people more on the right. other side. So, okay, that's part of the equation, also. Let's talk about relationships versus shopping around suppliers. Are you big on relationships or is it really about you've got so much economies of scale with 460 plus stores? It's like you got so much leverage against suppliers by switching. I mean, does that happen or where do you stand on that? Wow. I am so glad you asked that question because we don't talk about it a lot, but we we have longstanding relationships with many of our suppliers and we treat them and and our our head of purchasing has been with us for more than 30 years and he he treats our our business partners we treat our business partners like their partners we don't call them vendors we call them business partners and for a reason nice. yes because when times are hard for them we we ought to be able to try to help them out and when times are hard for us they're going to help us out guess what during all these shortages we never ran out of I mean, we ran out of maybe souffle cups for a couple of weeks or whatever, but our partners put us up on the list, even even though we were smaller than some of their other customers, because of the relationship piece. I'm so glad you asked that question. It's a, I think it's one area that 
I am super proud of the way we treat our business partners, and I wish other companies would do the same. They they kind of think it's like it's a one trick pony. Just bang them on the head as hard as you can, get the best price you can, and then pat yourself on the back afterwards. Well, yeah, when times are tough, guess who's last in line? <laughs> and that's what happened. Yeah, we didn't run out of pepperoni. I know there was a big hamburger chain that ran out of hamburger. There was a big wing chain that ran out of wings. We didn't run out of pizza. It was it was. And it's not just running out. It's they bring us new thinking. They bring us new ideas. You know, it's a, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, we're all it's a value step. add. It's not just buying product from a supplier. It's value add. It's the relationship. Exactly. It's the guy who's, you know, driving in his car from the warehouse to deliver something because a store ran out and they need it. It's like, that is commitment, exactly. you know, and I've seen that with, with the relationships I've had with my suppliers. And you either have that or you don't. And like you said, when times get tough, it's like, what happens? You're last in line and now you'll pay the price. So when do you miss uh, running restaurants? You know, I don't miss running restaurants. Uh, (laughs) I miss the people, you know, I miss the relationships. Uh, I had a unique situation. I mean, we only had seasonal restaurants because, you know, we were at resort operations and stuff where I created. So I had to treat my people so well that I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have to constantly turn people over and find new staff every year. So we had a 96% retention rate, even though people had to leave and go find other jobs and they all came back and it was the chemistry and the team spirit I talked about and the recognition rewards and incentives and all that kind of stuff. But it was the fun place, you know, people... And that's how we built an eight, you know, we call it the dream team. It's like, you've got A's, B's and C's. You want to get rid of the C's because those are the people that just show up for the paycheck. You want to take as many of your A's to instill best practices on the B's just so that, you know, they get to the same level. And then pretty soon you only have A players. Well, they and then feed if you on treat them well, you know, you're going to, you're going to keep those people. And they feed, they feed on each other. Right. I, I, uh, I write a, uh, a weekly, um, kind of column on my LinkedIn. I call it corner piece, uh, business insights from a pizza man. And this last week, the headline is enough already. And the, and the quote is the only thing complaining does is convince other people that you are not in control. (laughs) And I was saying that, um, you know, if you're a chronic complaint complainer, I hate to tell you, but people are tired of you. And those are the, you know, bring me a solution Let's be positive. Let's have fun and be positive. So I, I love what you're saying. You know, this leads to a, a really great question that I that I need to ask you. You have one question that you ask your employees that I thought just spoke volumes about the way you run the business. What's that one question? And take us into that because I think everyone can benefit from it. Yeah, and so you know, I, I do this uh, with with all the people that I meet with, and and everybody has. Like I told you, we build our plans together. So it's yes. not my plan; it's it's their plan. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, life happens somewhere along the plan. So my, my question is, what, what, is the, what is it that I can do to help you uh, take away a barrier to achieving whatever you want to achieve and help you accomplish what you want to accomplish? I ask that every time at the end of the meeting. And then some of them don't think I'm serious. And I say, are you sure? And, and then some of them say, yeah, I need this, this, and that. And then I go off and do this, this, and that, and it unstucks, unsticks something for them. Something gets unstuck, and they are successful. And it's like it, it just flips the switch because it's not a come into Tom to tell him all that I'm doing and hope that I don't get in trouble. It's, 
hey, here's where I am on this. I'm having a problem with this. Can you help me with it? And and then I'm a resource. I was thinking about, what is it? Uh, Mr. Rogers always talked about the helpers. Yeah. I was thinking our job really is to be helpers. You know, we've already built the plan. So now you just need help and, you know, getting, getting something unstuck. <laughs> well, you know, that takes me back to being on the airplane with Dave Thomas. And he's like, yeah. what do you do? You know? <laughs> and it's like, you're actually giving your people a voice and and letting them know that their opinion matters and that their ideas matter. And this would be important to me to help me do a better job, a more productive job, make my job more fun, whatever it is. I mean, that leads to longevity and low turnover if you really care and and ask. Because if you don't ask, you don't get. I noticed that. You know, I've always thought that. So, and you Excellent. know, as as I say in my column, I'm not perfect at any of this stuff, but but I, I I do I believe in certain philosophies as you do that. You know, we always strive to be better, and mm. and I think these are some of the things that we can do to be leaders instead of managers, to be in, inspiring instead of controlling. I think you're exactly right. That's terrific. Let's talk. Um, Really quickly, last question. Let's talk about the franchise opportunity and what you really look for in new operators. And are you looking for exclusives or multi-unit operators, people that are going to build a Donato's empire within a certain territory? And what's the training like? Yeah. So the 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 franchise opportunity. So it, it's it's really uh, taking off here lately. And I think I mentioned the Red Robin uh, mm-hmm. partnership. The thing that did. that did, our product. It is what makes us different. It's the quality of the product. Now, the way we got to that quality product, my father-in-law has very specific need. Every ingredient is custom. I mean, we're not like a lot of restaurant companies. You show up and order, you know, send me some cheese and some sauce. We Everything's custom, which is great. It makes for a great pizza. It makes it hard to scale because you can't send a truckload of ingredients to Reno, Nevada. Now that we have Red Robin, we've gone from six distribution houses to 26. So we can now franchise nationwide. We've been saying no to 80% of the inquiries. We're now saying yes. So that's opened up. The The quality of the product is number one. The, the company that is bigger than the pizza, you know, a little higher purpose. And then our the cash flow, the unit economics and the return on investment are, are tremendous. And that's We've hadn't always been that way, but it is today, and we've worked real hard on that. So, we're looking at we're not we're not doing master agreements. We're doing uh, you know, traditional franchise agreements as low as three store uh, deals, and it could be higher depending on the situation. We're looking uh, obviously for people that are more interested in running a franchise and not their own restaurant. You know, they've got to have that kind of mindset. I'm willing to follow the system. So we're looking, you know, for that. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. I was on an airplane not so long ago and that movie about Ray Kroc called The Founder came on. And and that was a really fascinating story. We all know that a franchise, it's all about following, you know, the system or else the system just falls apart. It's like you got to maintain that consistency. And when he first started franchising, it's like he's, you know, you, you got to have the burgers exactly a certain way, put the certain amount of ketchup and mustard on the, you know, all that kind of stuff. And these guys over here are bringing in fried chicken. And he's like, what's going on? It's like... Yeah, it was the, just, the, it's just funny. The thing that my uh, my old boss, the CEO of Wendy's, Jim Near, mm-hmm. uh, God rest his soul, he used to call franchising batteries not included, and that's kind of what we look for. We look mm-hmm. for somebody that you're gonna, you've got, we've got the the concept and the systems yep. and all that. The framework and the structure is intact and it works. What we need is your leadership. 
you know, and that, that means somebody is willing and it may not be them exactly. They may have an operating partner, but somebody is willing to get involved in the community, uh, which is fun, but it's not a, it's not a passive investment. And it's also different maybe than the burger business where, you know, you've got 10,000 transactions a week and, and you're just, you know, managing production, uh, this is about getting involved in Little League and the churches and the car dealerships and things like that. So you've got to be, you got to have some, some of that in your batteries. Right. Uh, yes. And, and, you know, and, and willing to grow and you've got to match our culture. You've got to really want to do something that's, that's bigger and different and you got to treat your people well, you know, Fantastic. that's, that's the name of the game. That's awesome. Tom, what have we missed? Is there anything else you want to share with us? Great stories, best practices, great advice, insights, a long history and track record and excellence in the hospitality space. You've done a great service to our industry. Anything else you want to share? Uh, I'm just, I'm honored to work uh, for the Grody family that I work for. My father-in-law's, he's 80 years old this this year. The company's 60 years old. Awesome. uh, And he's still going at it. And so I'm, I'm just honored to have had the opportunity to work for somebody like Jim Grody and somebody like Dave Thomas. So, uh, but I, I really appreciate the time today. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. This is amazing. Thanks for being a great guest on the podcast. Thanks. Thanks to audience for tuning in and we hope you all stay well and stay tuned. Thank you so much, Tom, for being a fantastic guest. What a dynamic conversation and what a powerful way to run the business and to really inspire people and lead an organization forward. You're definitely a testament to this industry and we all appreciate everything that you shared with us today. Thank you to our audience for tuning in. Thanks to our sponsors and we can't wait to see you next time. Don't miss it. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons, for fun, celebration, for family, for lifestyle. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. This is a high-risk, high-fail business. It's hard to find great staff. Costs are rising and profits are disappearing. It's a treacherous road and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants that I've now sold for millions of dollars. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. I created a game-changing system, and it's filled with everything I've learned in over 20 years running super profitable, super fun restaurants. Everything from creating high-profit menu items and cost controls, to staff training where your teams serve and sell, to marketing hooks, money-maximizing tips, and efficiencies across your operation. What does this mean to you? More money to invest in your restaurant to hire a management team, time freedom, and peace of mind. You don't just want to run a restaurant. You want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy, and I'll show you how it's done. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.